Rogues of the Black Fury, Episode 16. Rogues of the Black Fury, a novel, written and produced by Travis Heerman. This novel contains violence, adult language, and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. For more information, please visit travisherman.com slash rogues. Special guest performer, Mary Rogers. Chapter 25 Sasha's heart pounded. She pulled her pistol from its holster at her thigh and checked the primer charge. A misfire could cost her her life. The other Black Furies stood around her, leaning against stairs or crates, squatting quietly with their heads lowered, simply waiting for the order to act. Distant cannons crackled, and the tremendous slap of cannonballs raised plumes of silvery brine into the moonlight, whipping her heart into a quicker pace. Hard to starboard! Open gun ports! Prepare to get him some cannonball, lads! Captain Nightlighter shouted over the chaos of incoming cannon fire. The ship laid into a hard turn. The two port-side gun ports clunked open, and cannons rumbled across the deck as they were shipped to their openings. Sasha steadied herself against the deck support. Fire as you bear, the captain barked. Fire as you bear, aye, the first mate relayed below decks. From the forward cannon positions, the gunner's mate called back. Fire as you bear, aye, aye. Thunder exploded with orange flame and clouds of billowing smoke that glowed white in the starlight. Rusk's instructions had been clear, but patience was difficult when the ship could be shot to pieces around them. The pirates would not destroy the ship. They would send in a few cannon shots to frighten the crew and then attempt to board. A ship full of booty was no good at the bottom of the sea. The crew's feet stampeded like rats on the deck above, and she caught a smile on her face. She did not fear death. In many ways, she'd been dead for years, since Berlan died and she was forced to learn things, to do things, to survive. But now, with her heart pounding and the small hair standing on end and the grin on her face... She did not feel dead at all. Javin Wollstone's face was pale as fresh linen, and his face was sheened with sweat, his eyes wide and haunted. He had seen combat up close and bloody, and the blood was still fresh. He fingered his pretty pistol, constantly checking and rechecking the primer charge. Every muscle in his body was poised for action, and the effort of self-control was writ large on his face. He had let his pale beard roughen his cheeks, and add a bit of manliness to his boyish face, and his hair was a bit shaggier. He was starting to look less like an officious nobleman and more like a commoner, more like... She turned her gaze away. Tonin held just a broad-bladed short sword, perfect for stabbing and hacking in the close quarters of shipboard combat. Something in his eyes told her that his mind was elsewhere, on other places, other people. He truly wanted to be a Black Fury, but not for himself. He wanted it for someone else. Maggot clearly knew his way around cannons, even though these were not wheeled artillery. She could hear his voice up there, bantering with the crew. Aye, we have range on that one now. 
I'll put this next shot right through the captain's cabin window. A bellow from above. She's cutting across our course, Captain. Aye, she's coming alongside, aye, Captain Nightletter called out. Rusk, my friend, we put up enough of a fight to make it look good, aye? Rusk bellowed up the stairs. Aye, you have, Captain. Let them come alongside, but don't make it too easy. And tell your men to look scared. Captain Nightlighter laughed with only a twinge of nervousness. Aye, aye, I don't think that's a problem. Sasha glanced at Javan again. Why did her gaze seem to follow him about, especially when he was not looking? That poor fool would likely die on his quest to find his precious sister. It would be a shame if such a man died in vain. The distant popping of arquebus fire echoed across the sea and shot zipped through the rigging, tugged at the sails, and blew splinters from the deck and gunwales. Silverhind's crew ducked and swore and dashed about. A few of them returned fire with their own large-bore arquebuses to little effect. Rusk climbed to the deck to watch the pirate ship approach. He looked down at Carl. Now is the time. Put your team in place. Carl nodded and turned to the men. Ost. Ost took out a handful of white ribbons, which he distributed among the men. They tied the ribbons around their upper arms. He and Carl led half of the Black Furies to their position just inside the forward cargo hatch. Carl and Javin exchanged a glance as Carl passed by. Javin nodded almost imperceptibly, took a deep breath, and set his jaw. So that was how the noble Wollstone had retrieved his pistol, and been able to follow them. What game was Carl playing? Did the boss know? She brought out the handful of white ribbons for her team and handed them out. Sasha, Javin, Tonin, and the boss made her team twelve strong. They all tied the white ribbons to their arms to differentiate friend from foe in the chaos of a night battle. A cannonball blasted through the hull near the starboard cannon ports. The cannoneers cursed and shouted as sharp splinters sprayed them. The cannonball lodged in a deck support, a smoking leaden lump embedded in the wood. Fortunately, the hole in the hull was high above the waterline. Shots echoed from across the water, almost close enough now for Sasha to discern the words. Captain Nightlighter's voice from the poop deck, Aye, day's got grapples, lads! Steady now! Axes ready! Day's coming in, aye! A cannon on the pirate ship thundered, and something struck Silverhind with a deep, dangerous crunch. A cheer went up from the pirate ship, and Silverhind lurched as if snatched by a god's fist. The bow swung hard to starboard. Captain Nightlighter roared, Cut that grapnel line, aye! A crewman called back from the forward bow. We can't, Captain. It's a chain. Then pry out that hook, aye! Aye, aye, Captain. The shouts and taunts from the pirate ship drew nearer as the ship continued to swing to starboard. Damn you, jackals! Strike the sails before we tear up each other's rigging! Captain Nightlighter called. A voice roared from the pirate ship. Strike your sails and surrender your vessel! Rusk backed down the steps, and the muscles of his legs coiled to strike like serpents. A series of clunks sounded against the gunwales as grappling hooks arced from the pirate ship and hooked the wood. Silver Hind began to slide sideways as the two ships drew together. Captain Nightlighter called out, Drop your weapons, lads! Captain of the pirate vessel, we surrender! Please spare our lives! The ship's hulls came together with a massive grinding, creaking thud. Through the hatchway, Sasha could only see sails and rigging. Amidst the rigging, several men trained arquebuses upon Silverhind's deck. A coarse voice roared from the pirate ship. My men have you covered. Drop your weapons and put up your hands. Captain Nightlighter called out, Do as he says, lads. Captain of the pirate vessel will give you no more trouble. Just spare us our lives. 
Glad to hear you're such a reasonable man, Captain, the pirate captain called back. We'll be seeing how much your lives are worth. He spoke with a Jarl's accent like Rusk's, only thicker. Reasonable, that's me, I. Come aboard, and let's discuss things like reasonable men. Sasha checked that her pistol was tight in its holster, and she flexed her fingers. Moments passed. The tension in the voices of the pirate crew diminished as they began to accept their triumph, and in their captain's voice as he ordered them aboard Silver Hind. Now, Rusk said. There was no roar, no battle cry, just a silent thudding and shifting of feet as the Black Furies charged out of the cargo hold. Rusk's broad back filled her vision, the broadsword in his thick hand. Two pirates stood in his way, just climbing up over the gunwale. They stared. Rusk's broadsword glinted like distant lightning and crashed into a skull, cleaving it in the jaw. Sasha slipped to Rusk's left and with her right hand formed into a spear strike, buried three of her fingers in the other pirate's right eye socket. The eyeball exploded like strawberry jam under her fingers. He tumbled backward and fell eight feet onto the deck of the pirate ship below. She leaped the gunwale and alighted on the wooden deck. Her team boiled over the side and down onto the deck of the pirate ship, so swift and so silent in the dimness of the lamplight and the gleaming face of Inanan that the pirate sharpshooters had not yet fired a shot. The pirate's deck erupted into outcries and chaos. The Black Fury swept into battle like a silent black storm. Her pistol came out and she discharged the finger-sized lead ball into the chest of a pirate bearing down on her. The sharpshooters above opened fire, raining death down upon their heads. Splinters and smoke leaped up around her. Three Black Furies pulled their pistols and returned fire. Two of the sharpshooters convulsed and fell. Rusk pulled his massive pistol, its cluster of four rotating barrels as thick as her forearm. As he cocked back the hammer, the barrels rotated, bringing a fresh load to the firing position. He never missed at this range. With her own pistol empty, she pulled out her rapier and lunged into the fray. She danced and sliced, jumped and struck, dodged and stabbed. Warmth sprayed her with a familiar tang of blood and open guts. Gurgling cries and terrified curses filled the night as dark shapes with white ribbons on their arms tore across the wooden deck and took the pirates' lives from them. Carl and Ost's team roared out of the forward cargo hatch and stormed across the deck of Silver Hind, ripping through the surprised pirates on board. Rusk's initial assault had served as a perfect distraction for Carl's team to deliver the unexpected death stroke. A coarse voice was screaming from nearby. No! We surrender! We sur The pirate captain's outcry was cut short by a single meaty chop. Sasha turned to see Rusk standing over the pirate captain's crumpling body. Russ caught the man's head by the hair before the body hit the deck, and with a second slash severed the head and let the body spill its dark scarlet at his feet. Rusk held the pirate captain's head aloft. The rest of the pirates, those still able to stand upright with their brains and innards still within their bodies, dropped their weapons and fell to their knees, begging for their lives. Finish the wounded, Rusk said. Shard, Slammer, and Dox began to circulate through the wake of fallen bodies they had left behind. Not a single wounded pirate would see the next dawn. As the three executioners pursued their grisly task, Sasha spotted Javin leaning against the gunwale. His face was pale, his breath ragged, his broadsword hanging against his leg, but there was blood on his sword. He glanced up and caught her eye. She expected to see some dandified, civilized revulsion in his eyes, but there was none of that. Only the look of a man coming down from the blood rush of battle and fear, when the surge of strength began to drain away and leave only the sick emptiness that comes with the knowledge that one has faced death and survived to tell the tale. 
There was something else in his eyes, too, and they bored into hers for a long moment. Relief. Ten pirates had survived, and they knelt in a line, chained with old rusty manacles to the mainmast of Silver Hind. Twenty-seven pirates were dead, including the captain. Their bodies now floated in the lapping waters around the two ships. None of the Black Furies had sustained the smallest scratch. Four of Silver Hind's crew had been shot, but the wounds were light. Rusk was pleased. He stood over the ten cowering pirates. His blood-spattered grin gleamed in the dim light. Captain Nightlighter stood beside him. The Black Furies stood behind the pirates, and Silverhind's crew edged away from these grim warriors who had just sprung unknown from their midst. Sasha heard two of the crew whispering. "'I had no idea,' one said. Another said, "'I I knew all along did something weren't right.' "'You're a bloody liar, Felix. You were playing dice with that one last night. You said he was some merchant's bodyguard.' "'Well, who are they?' You don't know? That's Rusk, you fucking dolt. It's got to be. No, it isn't. Rusk is not even real. He's just some story. You ignorant fucking gofrini. I grew up in Yarburg. I heard the real stories. He right well is fucking real, and he's standing right fucking there. Sasha kept her smile to herself. She had heard such conversations before. Captain Nightlighter said to the pirates kneeling before him, I say you men are some of the luckiest sons of whore ever dropped out, I. We're going to have a bit of mercy on you, I. Turned out our cargo were a bit more dangerous than you thought, I. The pirates stared sullenly at the deck. Aye, Captain Nightlighter continued, you get to face a hangman's noose back in Yorburg, but your brothers will be looking at the inside of a shark's belly. How you like that, I? Rusk's feral grin showered the pirates with malice. Some of them shivered, their lips quivering. "'Captain, may I speak to you privately for a moment?' Rusk said. "'Aye, Rusk, my friend.' One of the sailors punched the other on the arm. "'See? I fucking told you!' Rusk and Captain Nightlighter went into the captain's cabin. The sailors began to taunt and jeer at the pirates with curses so profane that even Rusk would have been amused. The Black Furies were careful not to allow the sailors to cause the prisoners harm, however. A single withering look from Carl, with his unique mixture of high-born haughtiness and absolute martial dominance, was enough to cow any vengeful sailor. Captain Nightlighter and Rusk soon emerged from the cabin, and the captain addressed the crew. "'I need eight men to continue on this journey. I, We've had a change of plans.' Silver Hind is returning to Yarburg with these prisoners, for to hand them over to the magistrate, aye, and with Canton in command. Canton stepped forward, eyes wide. Me, Captain? Aye, you, Canton. Commander Rusk be on a very important mission. We got it all worked out, aye. Canton, you will take these prisoners back to Yarburg. I know some of you got women in doot, but you're going to have to wait to dip your peckers a bit longer. Myself and eight others will be captain and crew of this swift little brigantine, he gestured toward the pirate ship lashed to the side of Silverhand. And as we take it the rest of the way the doth, I come first light we cut free and part ways. But captain, Canton said, what if you don't come back from doth? My last will and testament be written and sealed in my strong box, I. Any magistrate from Norgard to Alcott 
will recognize that Silverhine be yours, Canton, if I don't come back for her. Surprise flashed across Canton's face, shattering his normally expressionless facade. But, Captain... Enough talk, I. Each one of you will be sworn to secrecy about what occurred here this night. But for now, take these men below and chain them to the keel, I. There's a damn load of work to do come morning. Chapter 26 Janice Woolstone walked. He walked slowly, but he counted himself lucky for being upright at all. Nevertheless, his uniform was properly pressed and his beard meticulously trimmed. Frankel had seemed relieved that the Grand General remained intent upon maintaining his daily toilet. Frankel was the type of man whose world must be properly ordered at all times. Seeing Janice in any way unkempt whipped him into a froth. Janice's throat was a visceral, throbbing ache, stiff and still heavily bandaged, making it feel as if he had a towel wrapped around his neck. The physicians had forbidden him from speaking, not that he had any inclination to try, but they were powerless to confine him to his bed. Cusco was on the brink of another war. He could not lie in bed like an invalid and watch his life's achievements crumble to dust before his eyes. He would rather have died. The halls of Tarnak Castle felt empty with both Javan and Belagon. And Lilla. Inanan's mercy had it already been three years. He walked down the long central second-floor hallway, past the large portraits of grand generals who had gone before him, their severe stately faces full of character, full of strength, full of malice and evil, some of them, but even those served a silent reminder that his reign was only a piece of Cuska's long history. There would be portraits to come after his, perhaps Javin's, perhaps not, or perhaps Cuska would burn to the ground around him and Tarnak Castle would be raised to a heap of smoking rubble. At the end of the hallway, he glimpsed Terrell passing from the castle offices toward the grand stairway leading to the foyer. Two blue dragons flanked Terrell, and his face was grim. His lanky stride carried him on a purpose. Janice raised a hand and opened his mouth to call out, but a sharp stab of pain closed his lips just as quickly. He hurried as best he could after Terrell. Damn him, Janice was still the Grand General, after all. He reached the top of the foyer stairs just as Terrell and his guards disappeared through the front doors. Warm evening light and the breath of spring wafted through the foyer as Janice hurried down the steps to follow Terrell. The rumble of an approaching carriage grew louder, and Janice cursed his weakness. He felt a nagging unease, as if a moon devil hovered above him like an invisible threat. Curse his weakness and the numb leaf that fogged his senses. His breath came in gasps as he finally hurried through the front doors in time to see Terrell stepping toward a carriage that had just pulled up. The large black carriage was emblazoned in gold with the dragons of the House Wollstone Crest. Four black dragons were perched on the carriage roof, fully armed with swords and carbines. Terrell spotted him and an eyebrow rose in surprise. Janice leaned against the stone door jamb. Terrell approached. Your Excellency, you must be feeling better to be up and around. Janice mouthed silently. Report. The throb of his heart sent pulses of ache through his throat. Your Excellency, there is trouble brewing in the low quarter. With the murder of the Farthy ship captain and his crew, we have flooded the city with spies and informants. 
looking for evidence of anyone with ties to Fartha. The results of those investigations have been overwhelming. I have had those with Farthy blood, slaves and freemen alike, placed in a camp in Redbridge Park. Thus far, we have rounded up more than 5,000 suspected Farthy sympathizers. We're discovering upwards of 500 a day. The trouble began with a few families of mixed breeding, mixed Cuscan and Farthy couplings and their children, mostly from the low quarter. Whores, vagabonds, unwashed peasants. The contempt dripped from his voice. The Farthy and their children were placed in the camp, but the Cuscans have been allowed to remain free. Today, the husbands and wives of the Farthy prisoners stormed the entrance of the camp, demanding that their families be released. The guards confronted them, and a brawl ensued. The guards fixed bayonets, and some of the peasants were killed or injured. The low quarter has risen up, and they're surrounding the camp. I've dispatched a full company to reinforce the guards, including cavalry. As Janus listened to Terrell's report, his belly grew tighter and tighter. All of this happening while he lay abed. He walked toward the coach. But, Your Excellency, it's a very dangerous situation, and you're terribly injured. Janus turned and fixed him with a hard gaze. They were his people. He would deal with the situation himself. I urge you to reconsider, Your Excellency. Is it wise to allow the commoners to see you in your weakened state, unable to speak? There are rumors, to be sure, but we haven't even made it public that you are hurt. Janus sighed. He could not fight, nor even speak. How could his presence make a difference? But something inside would not relinquish his desire to see these events for himself. Perhaps he was just tired of being locked away. Perhaps he believed it was still within his power to make a difference. The low quarter was a spine-rat and jackal-infested maze filled with unsavory characters, whores, thieves, farthy refugees, and slaves. But they were still his people. He led more than House Wollstone. He must lead the lowborn as well. He led Terrell by the arm toward the carriage. In the failing light of evening, the scene at Redbridge Park was chaos held at bay. The park was named for a bridge made of dark red stone that passed over one of the city's many canals. Water from the surrounding mountains flowed through the canals to carry sewage toward the sea. The park had been constructed by Grand General Charles Yarwood some 200 years before to honor his son, Robert, the great engineer and architect who was responsible for many of the most sublime and impressive structures in Norgard. Redbridge Park was a place where Norgarders could enjoy quiet solitude or a stroll. The roughly square park, some one hundred paces on a side, cut through the center by the stone-banked canal. But now, a hastily constructed fence built of fish nets and rough-hewn poles, surrounded by companies of infantrymen, filled one's corner of the park. Within the fence were scores of tents and cook fires built amidst the trees and grass and thickets. The air was heavy with the smell of smoke and tension. The soldiers clutched their muskets with white-knuckled hands, bayonets fixed and glinting. Lamps had been erected to ensure that no captives slipped under the netting. Surrounding the soldiers at a distance were hundreds of silent milling shapes, clustered among the houses and alleyways, glowering at the soldiers with weary but hateful expressions. The hard-packed streets surrounding the park were empty, as if they had become a no-man's land separating the soldiers from the angry Norgarders. 
The carriage rolled in front of the entrance to the park, where the largest company of soldiers clustered. Pools of dark-stained earth bespoke recent violence. A patrol of six riders in gleaming breastplates and battle helms circled the park. Terrell said, Your Excellency, it appears that the reinforcements have arrived. Janus nodded, but his eyes were cast on the faces of the commoners who stood in such profusion in every door and alleyway. He saw fear, anger, and in some cases, raw defiance. He heard weeping as well, coming from the masses outside and the prisoners inside the park. He made a gesture of writing to Terrell. Terrell replied, "'Please accept my apologies, Your Excellency. I did not bring any writing instruments.' Janus clenched his fists and opened his mouth. This was going to hurt. His voice was ragged and raw, and shards of crushed glass tore through his throat. But he whispered, "'Get the prisoners out of the city. Take them to a camp outside the city. Farbury Castle.' Terrell nodded. "'Yes, Your Excellency. I believe that is a prudent move.' Keeping the prisoners here only inflames them. House Fargold can lend us the stone walls of Farbury Castle for a time. We can better question them there and prevent escape as well. Janice spotted a Cuscan woman reaching through the net to clutch the head of her weeping daughter. Two soldiers eyed them cautiously. The girl, a bit younger than Bella, cried through the netting into her mother's breast while the tall, bearded, farthy-looking man stood over them both inside the netting and stroked his daughter's back. Janice looked away. Question them all as soon as possible. If there is nothing suspicious, release them. All of them, Your Excellency? There are so many. Janice nodded. He had no idea there were so many common folk in Norgard with farthy ties. But the way of life in Cusca was superior to Fartha in so many ways, he should not have been surprised. Most of the Farthi within Cusca lived as refugees or had sold themselves into slavery in Cusca or the free cities, just to remove themselves from the grasp of the iron-fisted priest-kings. But people like refugees and slaves also made perfect spies, invisible people moving unseen through a society that had grander things to ponder than the fate of a few hapless foreigners. He pointed toward the weeping family, and Terrell craned his neck to look. Terrell said, An unfortunate circumstance, but necessary. We can hardly let only a few of them go. It must be all or nothing. Don't you think, Your Excellency? Janice had to agree. Terrell continued, The true madness lies in how many of them turned in their neighbors and sang songs of treachery and treason against people they had lived beside for years. So, like the nature of peasants, fickle and bereft of any loyalty, even to themselves. But how can we be certain we have them all? By their blood, of course, Your Excellency. Farthy blood is so lacking in honor and decency that, that it can only mark them as little more than beasts, like all those foreigners within the fence. Janice looked away from the weeping family and fixed his cousin with a hard stare. Terrell's lips drew tight, almost a sneer, and his eyes glittered with a brittle light. Rolf and Gustin looked like us, Terrell, Janice said, 
his voice hardly more than a hoarse whisper, his eyes steady on Terrell. Dothans have dark hair, dark skin, and dark eyes, and many Jarlsmen. Perhaps we must round them up, too. Terrell's eyes did not meet his. He clicked his lips officiously. It will all be sorted out in good time, but for now, we must deal with this unpleasantness. It will only be a little while. Janice nodded and looked back at the mother with her tear-streaked eyes. I... only a little while. His throat burned from speaking, and he smelled blood coming from within. Thank you for listening to Rogues of the Black Fury by Travis Heerman. If you enjoy the story, don't be shy. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to go to this podcast's homepage and click the donate button. Give whatever you like, but is $4.99 really too much to ask for this many hours of entertainment? Rogues of the Black Fury is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. I encourage you to copy it and give it away to all your roguish friends. Just don't change it or sell it, or the Black Furies will soon be coming after you.